Maybe we did it in time. I don't know. I, I don't know. From, from my side, it seemed like a delay. But anyway. Yeah. Yes. So. Welcome to another episode of PH Divas. I'm Danielle. Yay, this is Liz. And I missed that. We to resolve the problems of our difference, or distance, rather, that. Like, I'm still in Ithaca at Cornell, and Liz has started her postdoc at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah, and um, there's been some trouble in paradise. Um, we've been trying to maintain a relationship, even though we're over a thousand miles away, and it is very difficult <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and in many ways, it is like a two-body problem. Yeah, and so we thought that the theme today, talking about that... The difficulties of recording now, but also I think a big problem in academia. Talking about the two-body problem. Yes. If you. Yes. Yeah, but as so last time, so we tried to record a previous episode, but like there's a lot of been a lot of kinks in terms of figuring out how to record remotely. And before yes. I quoted, <laughs> "Near, far, wherever you are," but I believe that the heart can go on. And Liz thought I was quoting poetry, but actually it was Celine Dion. I still thought Titanic. you were okay. Liz, you said it again. Liz, this is the second Liz, time. I tried to save you. I thought I it was save poetry. You. It's Celine Dion. Okay. All yeah. right. I'm a child of the 90s, but that still didn't click for me. I mean, I only saw that movie once, too, but, like, the song was so ubiquitous. Possibly. Well, no, no, no. It's absolutely ubiquitous. Okay. Um. So, if I'm being honest, this is our third time trying to record. This is just how hard it is to do to do long distance. Um, mm-hmm. I The first time, I think we didn't like it. The second time... She recorded her end. I forgot to record my end. <laughs> and I got this very sheepish text message from Liz. Fine. Yeah. I did forgot to record. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, and there was tons of smiley faces and, like, emojis, like, little angel emojis. And, and you're like, yeah. I hope you still love me. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> 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 um, yeah. It went well. Yeah, so, so for those of our listeners who don't know, the two-body problem refers to the problem when someone's in academia and in a relationship and the other person usually being in academia but even not that academia you have no idea where you're going to end up and what does that mean for your relationship is basically i'd say that sort of sums up the two-body problem like how do you end up both at the same time especially if you're two academics how do you manage to get positions at the same place it's of course particularly hard if you're in the same department because then like are they rarely are they going to hire at the same time um, in the same department, but even if you're in a different department or different field, like how can you really persuade them to be hiring at the same time? Or even for people whose spouses are not in academia, like how do they like restart again in a new industry or right. like, how portable is their job or do they have to just fo- follow uniquely? And uh, indeed there's a sort of stereotype that I think still exists. Um, well, and one reason that perhaps it's easier for for men, well, particularly heterosexual men in academia, is that still there's that gender expectation that women are just going, their wives are just going to fall in and have a career. Yeah, and so then she'll just be able to trail behind behind him. Of course, that's not the case um, so much anymore, but I think that's a bias that probably also complicates the two-body problem for people who are thinking of making it a three or more body problem, so to speak, in terms of parenting. Yeah, yeah, there's a pretty, um, I don't know if I ever told you about this, but at Cornell, there was just like a three-body move from one department and so um there was there's a couple that moved and then her ex-husband also moved so that he could be closer to his kids so they all got a deal wow to go to another university yeah yeah and and it seems like that it's becoming very commonplace to try to um 
get a deal so one person won't get a job and then try to negotiate for their for their partner to have some sort of position and and um, depending on where you are that can be very challenging so a place like Ithaca really struggles because there's not much industry outside mm-hmm. so there are times where you may get a job but then maybe your partner doesn't have a job because there's not very much stuff in their industry so so for institutions want to be accommodating they actually can't be that accommodating because they don't have a lot of stuff yeah and it's definitely a struggle like i know that let's see i know a couple of canadian academics so i think it took them maybe like decades to be able to end decades. up in the same institution um mm. i know at least one faculty member at cornell with a child whose husband is at nyu and they just commute back and forth all the time I have a friend right now who's, um, she and her partner are both junior faculty. She's in Boston, he's in Minneapolis. And at the moment she's just taking like a semester leave, I think unpaid so that she can be with him. And then, so it's definitely really, really difficult. And I definitely hear a lot about, I have another friend whose um, partner is at Cornell and she was at Brown and they managed to eventually negotiate to open up a position here for her, mm-hmm. but you need to have leverage. So people have to be constantly thinking like, what can I apply to? And like say to the other institution, like, look, I'm competitive. Yeah. And it's yeah. a very delicate situation, obviously. I, yeah, I, I mean, I also have those stories. I know people who they're excited because for the first time they are actually only an hour away from each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's just, that that's so crazy to think about. Or some people yeah. do coast to coast. Yeah, coast to coast, and I think that's that probably puts like a strain on relationships that you have in graduate school because you sort of implicitly wonder like, when one of us has to go, is someone is the other person going to follow? Are we going to be able to make it work long distance? Like, can we resolve the two body problem? And definitely, that's been a question for me and Teddy because um, he wants to pursue um, probably some sort of um, some a master's degree, but Mm -hmm. in what like the question is like where where will I end up? What programs will be around? Yeah. Uh, he doesn't want to pursue academia, but he does want to get another degree. So that's definitely difficult. You need to then you want to pursue academia. Yeah. So where are you going to go that he can also have good opportunities too? Yeah. Or like with one of my friends, um, one of my friends who is at Cornell and his partner, she's like a literary agent in Britain. And so she sort of, I think, put her career on hold to be able to come here because they have a child as well. Mm-hmm. And she's able to do some of it remotely, but like obviously it's really hard for her and he wants to be able to go back to England so that she continue her career and they can both yeah. have their careers across the Atlantic. So a lot of compromise. Yeah, which sounds, it's, well, it's a bit foreign to me because I am single. Um, so I'm trying to think about <laughs> But, uh, well, so anyway, it's how... funny to talk about how, obviously, Liz and I are having a two-body problem. For those of you who may be following us on Facebook or on Twitter, you may have seen us post this really lovely black-and-white picture of me and Liz, yeah. where we look like, you know, we're on our wedding day yeah, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, um, so I've been in Chapel Hill for a month now, and... It just kind of dawned on me the last week that I don't have any friends and I don't really know anyone here. I know some people, but you know they they're busy, and I just felt really lonely. And then I started, you know, going and checking on, like calling people, seeing how people were doing. And um, <laughs> so I came across this old picture that Zion and I took at a wedding, and I found oh, myself yeah. kind of staring at it. And then I looked <laughs> around and I was like. 
it looks like I'm missing my girlfriend or something. <laughs> so yeah, I sent Zion the picture. I was like, remember this is such great times. I know, and I was like, okay, we have to we have to post this up. Yeah. Let people very... know that PH Divas, we're still going. We're still but we're going. you know, we're working with the two body problem. Yes, our own special two body problem. But I think that also indicates that like so I think there's a number of things at play when we talk about the two body problem. On the one hand, I think we're very used to thinking about academics as being like brains that are somehow estranged from their material circumstances and the two body problem reminds us that we are people with bodies who have needs and are need other people. <laughs> Sorry, but people like, with bodies with needs. I'm such a teenager. <laughs> I know, but that that too, but you know, that, that exists in academia, but that's probably another podcast. That is but the also, majority, like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, anyway. But even by saying the two body problem, that sort of neglects the fact that, you know, some people want to have families. So it's like a two or more body problem or the fact that like friendships are so important in terms of our support network. And so there's so many other bodies that we should be considering beyond just two bodies, which perhaps overly privileges like this couple model of yeah. relationships. You know, that's actually a good point, because one of the things that older grass or I guess what I say is like in your middle range of your graduate career, you start facing big problems when, um, let's say that the people you really got close with are like a year or two ahead of you. They yes, graduate yes. and then they leave and then you realize that all the people you've been hanging out with are no longer there. And then you don't really have the time or desire to become friends of younger people. Just You just don't, I don't know, you just don't feel like it. And so it becomes very hard to start all over again right in the middle of your PhD program or even towards the end. So friendships become this huge part of your career that you don't even notice until you're done or until someone yeah, else until is done say, yeah until you start saying goodbye yeah um, like I, I really like befriending um earlier undergrads in my program but for a lot of people I know that definitely for a lot of other people there's a certain point at which they're like I can't keep on meeting the new people coming to the department because I'm just so busy right now it's just so emotionally exhausting to say goodbye to friends mm. that I think that's why people are reluctant um but yeah, I miss, there's a lot of friends I miss out there. Kylan, if you're listening to this, I miss you. <laughs> oh, is there's... he gone? No, yes. I think you, you probably, he follows you on Twitter, but he's at, um... So we're best friends. Oh, uh, I guess so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's in the South right now. Um, really? He has to stop by to say hi. I'm very upset with him. Oh, I sh yeah, I should mention, he's at uh, Washington and Lee. Oh, God. Um, where is that? What state? For I, I'm not American. That's my, my excuse. Oh, that yeah. is a shitty excuse. Okay, fine. Hey. Fine. All right, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I but can anyways. Look, I can look it up on like Google, so. That, like, yeah, with my friend group here, we had this really amazing group of friends that, like, everyone in my cohort were pretty much friends, and then we're friends with, like, another, another large group a couple years ahead of us, and we used to do dinners together every Friday night. Every Friday night, we'd get together and do dinner somewhere. And then we'd go and play board games or video games. Mm -hmm. But then the people who organized it, Nora, if you're listening to this, uh, also ended up graduating. And then mm -hmm. suddenly, like, we had to, the rest of us had to scramble, and, like, oh, will we continue this tradition that we've been doing for years? Mm -hmm. and it was really difficult and weird, and we tried to, like, integrate new people to try and sustain it. But then eventually, like, we just, it wasn't the same. And, like, there's other good friends now, but, like, I feel, I feel like I, a lot of my friend groups are sort of fragmented because definitely some of them are, don't, haven't had the time to like get to know like the younger earlier people mm. in the program and i've i have yeah and like it's like so there's a lot of different friend groups that are becoming and more if and anything more it gets harder to bridge them together because you become yeah. the person who knows the old people and you've also been the one who's 
talk to younger people. So yeah, yeah. Actually, I, that's happened to me too because I kind of was one of the the former group, the people who kind of aged and then you know thought I don't have time for this. I don't I'm not. <laughs> I mean, and I do clearly. I do know younger people, but I just wasn't as open as I used to be. Um, and so there are people, when I run into my older friends and I see them with new people, I'm like, Hey, who are these people? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know, kind of know who they are, but they don't know who I am because I don't go out often enough to keep up. Like, you know, if you're to be in the loop, you have to be going out all the time. And once you stop going out, people just kind of like, don't remember you or don't, you know, you kind of yeah. ebb away. And I'm and kind so of happy with the yeah. ebb, but it's, um, it's always like, yeah, I'm, I'm a fifth. I always say like, yeah, I'm a fifth year or sixth, whatever I was, and then, like, I'm a BME. I just stay in the basement. Like, I don't socialize. That's why you don't know me. I'm not a new student. I just don't stay. And I think this goes to some of the problems we've talked about in previous podcasts with advice to earlier graduate students. Mm-hmm. That that's why sometimes like there's so much informal knowledge that gets passed between between graduate students and mentor in the mentoring process and informally socially, but because there's this natural gap between. Uh, people entering the program, people leaving the program, that that's not a lot of information that gets passed on. And especially, I think, like, a lot of the problems of the job market and the difficulties post, near, when you near a graduation, sort of get really abstracted for people who are at the beginning of their careers because mm-hmm. they don't know any of the people who are doing that. So even if they look at statistics like, oh, maybe 30%, 30-40% of people in our program didn't get an X type of job, mm-hmm. but you don't know these people, so you could just imagine that, you know, they're just an abstract number, yeah. Or, like, you could just dismiss, like, oh, they weren't that smart or that worked that hard. They're not real mm-hmm. people in the same way. And so, like, a systematic problem becomes completely abstracted. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking because um, in my lab, there were three people graduating in my first year. So I, I was actually able to see them going through the process. And I found that very helpful because when I became them, I was more accepting and under mm-hmm. and I actually became more understanding of them themselves and their behavior because yeah. when I was a first year I kind of judged them a little bit and I didn't understand them and then when it started happening to me I would just like laugh like I was crazy or something because you know I saw people do the same thing and I still talk to them to kind of they they gave me lots of perspective but I'm guessing that because you guys don't you don't have the lab so, sort of social structure it, it'd be mm-hmm. very hard to interact with um, an older student, uh, sorry, like a more advanced student. Oh yeah, definitely. You have to go out of the way to make those types of connections. I think that like, well, my department ha- had this graduate student led initiative of doing this peer mentorship program. So people in the first and second year get paired with people who mm-hmm. are more advanced, but like you have to choose to do that. This is also something that's fairly new. Um, it's really, there's a certain amount of volition, of course, cause as you said, like we don't have shared workspaces. So Unless you run into someone else in the co- in the photocopy room, you're not going to have a natural site to meet people. Or, like, you have to, like, rely on parties or whatever other social events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, I feel like it is sort of funny to, like, hang out with my first-year friends. And if people don't know me, they're like, oh, I'm a first-year, second-year. So are you also starting? I'm like, oh, no. No, young one, I am a venerable six-year. <laughs> You know, I just feel. Do you really so walk around injured. going, "Oh, young one"? I know, like I've been called, you know. That's crazy. I don't know if this reference will be lost in you, but you know, I should call them Padawan. Yeah, it's completely lost. What is that? It's Jedi, Star Wars. 
I am sorry. Oh, sorry. You know what? Did I ever tell you that when I first joined the lab, um, I got in trouble because I didn't watch Star Wars? And my first real assignment was to actually go back and watch all the episodes in the correct order, which isn't the chronological order. Um, but you mean 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? Or 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3? The second one. That you just said. Oh, yeah. Because the, the first three don't exist because they're terrible. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I had a conversation, and then it came out that I don't know anything about Star Wars, and they were like, what? <laughs> what? But you study physics, and then, like, you can't be here. I know! I know! Like, again, I have my friend Jenna who listens to us, um, and she's in molecular genetics, and uh-huh. it just blew my mind when she didn't know. And I, she, I found out she didn't know what Star Trek was. Like, she didn't know, like, Star Trek was set in the future. I know. Oh. Or, hmm. Oh, Liz. Oh, God. <laughs> I wish you could meet each other someday, but yeah. Like, it's sort of I mean, obviously, I it's in the that future because there's like space travel. <laughs> yeah, anyway. But yeah, so, Padawan. So, like, in the Jedi Order, uh, Jedi Masters have oh, apprentices dear. who are called Padawans. Okay. So, I would be like a Jedi Master, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, and first years, maybe I should shout out to people like Minton and Steven, mm-hmm. be like my Padawans. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're just like. Well, I have many Padawans. I have many, many in my (laughs) wake. (laughs) Is that the correct use of this word? I guess so, but it's odd for you to say it like that, that's all. Okay. All right. But you do, like, but in all fairness, for um, listeners who are tuning in for the first time, Liz does have a coterie of young people that she mentored, the undergrad that she mentored at Cornell. Her Asian woman Padawan (laughs) posse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sandy my and... strong independent Sandy Chan, yeah, Camille, Laura. Oh, they sent me some pictures of themselves, and it's so sweet. And um, oh. yeah, I miss them, but I'm happy for Camille them, for and I'm glad they're doing well. What? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Camille for a while. She's in the basement. Been so busy. Oh yeah. Yeah, I figure. Senior eyes is probably hitting her very hard. Mm-hmm. I am happy though that my new lab I don't think has any undergrads. So, so you don't have any Padawans right now? Not right now. Um, but uh, to be fair, I am thinking of when I, well, not now, but maybe when I get established, getting an undergrad. Just one, though. Just one that I can give. Yes, one. No, I'm giving you this face because, okay, in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> oh, so really? Remember, there's the there's the bad guys, the Sith Lords. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, well, Jedi Masters must have a lot of Padawans. The part of the lore of the Sith is that there's supposed to be, like, there can only be two, a master and an apprentice. Okay. And so you'd be, like, an evil Sith Lord with only one apprentice. Well, I gotta be evil. Okay. Well, well not necessarily. I'm curing cancer. Out, but... I can't be evil. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, so I I have another, yet another parallel with Star Wars. This is great. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was what's... also gonna say, oh. Go ahead. I was going to say that talking about the two-body problem, uh, for our listeners who like science fiction, there's actually a really major book that won a lot of awards this past year called The Three-Body Problem. Um, it's by this Chinese science fiction writer called Season Liu, and his book was just translated into English. And mm-hmm. so what the funny thing is that people point out he's actually like one of the most read science fiction writers alive right now, but because his work hadn't been translated outside of China, mm-hmm. didn't people didn't um, weren't able to read his work until very recently. It got translated by... Ken Liu, who is no relation to um, Season Liu. Uh-huh. 
Um, and I think it, like, it got nominated for a whole bunch of, like, best novel awards in different, like, categories. And my friend Lily, I don't know if she's listening to this, Ooh. but she actually got to um, read the translation, I think, help out. Because then I got to the back end of the book, and I was like, wait, Lily, I know her! Really you! My friend, I have a friend who's an award-winning mm-hmm. sci-fi writer. But yeah, the book itself is really interesting, called The Three-Body Problem. It has a lot to do with virtual reality and, and aliens and communication and stuff like that. It's also set a lot around the Cultural Revolution and then uh, the present day. Hmm. So it was really cool to read a piece of science fiction that took all its cultural references being China and the Cultural Revolution and the end. Ken Liu, as part of his process of translating and editing it, had to like add, add a lot of footnotes to explain some of the references to, mm-hmm. to the rest of the audience. But it was really cool. There's going to be two more books coming out, and I think that there's probably plans to also make a movie about it. Nice. Because it was such a blockbuster in China. But yeah, three-body problem. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Hmm. Have you ever read science fiction, Liz? Um, not recently, no. More fantasy. No, I don't think I've read any science fiction. Okay. I won't hold that against you. I'm about to I read like this my one... stuff made up. <laughs> I mean, it's made up in, uh, I guess so, in a different way. Mm-hmm. I'm about to read this one interesting book uh, that's come out quite a few years ago now called The Years of Rice and Salt by Kim Stanley Robinson. And it's this alternate history that it, what if the black plague wiped out europe so there are no white people what would history human history look like oh how did it go what happened well that's the thing like i think my understanding is like i think that china i think maybe the major cultures were like became china and maybe the shanti and the Az- aztec or something like that but like it's this really interesting thing like i think is like trying to explore like almost a thousand years of, to- of human history that if europe had been wiped out in the 13th 14th century by the black plague what would the rest of the geopolitical situation look like? And I think that like they track different characters and different like descendants over time. And so I've, I wanted to read it for quite a while, but then I, was, I never just remembered it recently. I was yeah, like, oh, I should just finally get time. around to, to reading it. So I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, actually, that's probably a pretty good... You should make a segment out of that. Like, what book do you want to read? Yeah. What's up? What's next on your block? And for me, I really want to get to The Emperor of Maladies, which is... An old oh, yeah. book, but it's just one I actually haven't touched, but it goes Lahiri, into... right? Um... Uh... Let me get the... I, I'm looking at the book right now. Well, I'm not... Okay. The first name starts with a J? <clears throat> I don't know how to pronounce her first name, actually. I don't... No, 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 no. That's a fiction writer. Y- Yampa oh, Lahiri? Okay. That's that's another writer. Oh, okay. This is um, Siddhartha Mukherjee. Mukherjee? Oh, okay. Huh. Jumpa Lahiri is an artist. She is a writer, though. Yeah, but she's like the namesake. Yeah, she didn't do this. So why did I confuse them? Let's look this up. I don't know. It's a huge book. Supposedly, it's very informative. I will get to it. About it's a biography of Cantor. And and, oh. I, and the thing is, I actually don't even know what the how they talk about it. I just know that people say it's really good, and I kind oh, of okay. I like the idea of trying to understand the literature around cancer, not just the scientific literature, yeah. which is written in a very technical way, but um, so the prose, whether it's fiction or nonfiction or or biograph autobiographical. Oh, autobiographical. Oh, I was going to say that actually what would make a lot of sense is that if I read it too, so then we could talk about it. It would be really interesting to talk about 
like obviously for the for the emperor of maladies you come in from it from a scientific perspective when someone who studies it and then i could come it from a, a literary context we could do that oh, and then we could oh, work yeah, on I, a proposal yes because <laughs> we want to try and figure out how to make a cross-display collaboration yeah. oh i was gonna say i know why i thought it was lahiri because lahiri's first collection was called interpreter of maladies yes and this yes. is called emperor maladies so i think yeah. i actually had to read that in high in not high school sorry college okay. i took um american literature and uh, that was one. Jumper Lahiri was one of the uh -huh. writers that we had to read. See, uh, I, I got really cultured. I, I was never saying that you didn't. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh -huh. Oh, speaking of being cultured, I I've heard really great things about the Wiz. Yes, I I have. It? I mean, I have not seen this one because I have no cable. But I I um. You know, Twitter and Facebook, I love when something big happens because I feel like my whole feed just turns black. <laughs> and, um, but also I think it's have a lot of black friends anyway, but that's all my, my feeds say. Everything mm -hmm. was the whiz, like the entire night. Every person, uh -huh. like every black person I knew was writing something about this. So it was really good. It oh was... yeah, that actually reminds me, if you remember, um, my friend Danielle Morgan, She's uh, she's just starting off a podcast with some friends, I think, called Black Girl Magic. Uh -huh. And they just posted a new episode today, that I think, where they're talking about The Wiz, so I should check that out. Yeah, yeah. You should yeah. go listen to it. Yeah. And also, we're thinking about collaborating with them, possibly. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I, I yeah, look forward I to that. I've seen yeah, the old one. Also... Okay. The, I haven't seen the old one. The one from the 80s. And my understanding is Michael Jackson's in that one, right? Oh, God, yes. Michael Jackson, Diana Ross. Um, Damn. I think James Earl Jones does a, a part of something. Wow. I'm not really sure. But, of course, The Wiz that just came out now is in honor of the 40th anniversary of the play, the Broadway musical. Mm -hmm. And then um, after the Broadway musical, then they did the movie, The Wiz. Which was in um, 78, I think, or something. So, and I only mention that because some people don't know all the references. So they don't, so they, for some people may be seeing The Wiz now and not realizing that it's been done before and before and before. Mm -hmm. And of course, Julie Garland, you know, the original yeah. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and the, I think the sad thing is that people have been knowing there's been a backlash on social media against The Wiz, that these people didn't know that it was something that existed and they're like, oh, this is racist because it's like Wizard of Oz is only black people. And I like, saw okay, that. By I that thought... logic, I know. And you're just like, by that logic was the original, uh, so the Wizard, original Wizard of Oz is more racist because it didn't I, I have any people of color. Actually, it's not, it's I wasn't cool sure if the, the, the Twitter, um, the tweets I saw were being sarcastic, but there was one and it actually said, um, that's so racist. How would you feel if the Wizard of Oz was done with all white people? And I thought... <laughs> That has to be a parody, Wait, right? I just, yeah, it was like, it was just too, I don't know. In either case, it was amazing. I, I uh -huh. mean, I love the Wiz. I still remember um, my principal singing Ease on Down the Road, just walking down the hallways, uh -huh. and you could hear, like, this little beat. So I, I have very fond memories, and I, I look forward to actually seeing the live version. Yeah, maybe that's also a future episode we should talk about that but I, I haven't even seen the first one so <gasps> that's okay like, Wait, again, what do you mean by first one i mean like the the whiz the one with the michael, michael jackson? jackson okay yes yeah he was a he's a good scarecrow 
Yeah, I mean, like, that also makes me wonder about, like, I mean, cross-cultural tran transition. Like, is it because I grew up being Chinese-Canadian that I never saw it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I again, like, the people who were even tweeting about that I noticed from my feed, they were not, they were all black people. I, I didn't actually check to see if there were other people, but the people who were super excited about it and just going crazy. Mm -hmm. And actually even the commentary. So people were, like, giving... Uh, saying like, oh, that was great. I love that song. And there are also people like, nope, that person was flat. They're off. Like this is because that's just kind of the the banter that goes along with doing this show and doing it with other people at the same time. That's a really great mm -hmm. experience. Yeah, but it's like it really becomes a whole community. It actually event. really does. Just like the same thing with the um, hashtag thank Thanksgiving with Black families was. Oh yeah. I mean, I I laugh for hours. Because it was all stuff I could relate to. I showed my family. Then the Thanksgiving clapback was really funny. It was just... I mean, Can you give I, me I an example that. of a particularly good tweet um, on the hashtag? So a lot of them were, were GIF-based, too. So you have to see the picture to understand. Oh, okay. But So one that was really funny was that look... When your mom and your aunt both make mac and cheese. And it's this picture <laughs> of from Drumline where... Um, the two guys are like, they have their sticks in the air and they're like looking at each other with the sticks uh -huh, like fake yeah. looking at each I other. Did, I did see that. Do yeah. you? And so like, I watched Drumline. Okay, good. See, you have to understand Drumline to also see this. So it's like one of those things where by Felicia means something to people who've actually seen the movie. Yeah. Way before, and then like the who I've heard it in songs more than it yeah. just means to like have been saying it in 2014, 2015. I know, which would be someone like me. Which is, to be honest. well, yeah, I have no, no real comment on that, but, um, but it, it was really good. Really, really good. There's always the things about people cooking. There's, oh, the really, there's, there's one where, um, it's a picture of President the Obamas. So President Obama is looking at Malia. I don't actually know Malia or Sasha. And look, uh -huh. he's talking to her. And she's making this face, like whatever, you know, like a teenage oh, yeah. face. I think I saw that. And yeah. then that one just got memed so much. The one that was really funny was, um, you better fix your face before I fix it for you. Cause that is just so classic. <laughs> that face where they're like, um, you better go talk to your cousins you don't like that much. You Don't forget to talk to your cousins. Because some people, they're like, I don't know these people. And they're like, they're, my co they're your cousins. And it's like, well, they're my cousins, but I don't talk to them, so I don't know them. So I'm not hanging out with them. I don't know, just stuff that reminded me of growing up mm -hmm. and the Thanksgiving families I would have with my extended family um, that were very nostalgic for me. And very happy memories and it felt I mean, really good to be able to share that to know that just that hashtag kind of united people like at the time I was sitting in my apartment alone but I was able to connect with people because they were like connecting with this very you know these experiences that I knew exactly what they were talking about I knew exactly why they were funny yeah, I thought that was pretty. I feel powerful. like this also comes back to another aspect of the two potty problem mm -hmm. that we don't tend to think about. Is like again, we're talking about relationships and friends, but what about our families? Like, being in academia oh <laughs> probably means you're going to be away from your family. Yeah, I think that when we're young, we don't tend to think about it that much because I think I think that I have this implicit 
sense and I think a lot of people do too that you know you don't want to think your family is going to change or age mm-hmm. you know somehow like st- time is going to stop for them while you're away and then you'll come home but then when you get into graduate school you become very much aware of like all your loved ones aging and then like realizing what it might be to live apart from them on the other side of the country or in a different country yeah no, that yeah. is so spot on I actually remember when I went to college I it was very far away and um, I didn't realize until I actually got there what it actually meant to be far away from my family because I was mm-hmm. so set on I'm gonna be in the city and I, I got I, you know, I went to school in Philadelphia I'm gonna be independent and do really fun stuff and it doesn't matter like bye mom <laughs> like whatever okay. and then all of a sudden I'm around people who don't understand me culturally um, around people who have way more money than I do who can buy things that I can't even you know think of buying and um, and that was very hard and then I had to start choosing which holidays I went home for because plane tickets are really expensive yeah and yeah, somebody, yeah, choosing your funerals your family so much about money yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean I think my my freshman year three people in my family died and the first two I didn't go to because I couldn't afford to, even though these are very important people in my life. Yeah. Very, very important people. And the third one, I finally, like, okay, I have to, it was my grandfather. And so I actually, I went to that one. But um, but you, you end up having to choose things like that. And you always think you're going to have time, and then you don't always have time. Or then the other mm-hmm. thing happens is that, I mean, for me, like, people get born. And... Like, little kids don't remember you unless they see you all the time. And so it's been this really weird experience to go home and see how people form new relationships. And I'm not in those relationships because I haven't been around. Mm-hmm. Because I'm on this academic train that maybe will take me somewhere. Yeah. And will definitely take you away from everyone else. Like, pretty much inevitably. Yeah. Especially if you're an already from a rural area. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people in the Northeast kind of have a good advantage because there's a lot of great schools in that area. And a lot of people I knew didn't really have to travel that far to go to school. Yeah. Whereas, you know, some people leave their home country and come to the U.S. Or even if in the U.S. you're going from one side of the country to the other. Yeah, like, it's sort of like when when there's long breaks at the university mm-hmm. and the people who get left behind... And it's usually, like, kids who are, you know, from the other side of the country, or even, like, other kids from just a couple states away, but, you know, you can't afford to go home. Yeah. And international, like, for me, for example, obviously, I I stay here during American Thanksgiving because it doesn't mean anything to me, so I might as well take the on-call usually. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, and I I remember I was, like, waiting for the dining hall to open again because, like, it's just (laughs) this awkward time when, like, it's closed just for a couple days. You can't buy, like, a whole week's worth of groceries. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of awkward. And then, like, I was just lining up, waiting for the food to, to come back, unless all these other kids who are also international students, and I was talking Wave about, the same this thing. is the first decent meal I've had in days. Yeah. And, you know, and talking about, like, yeah, and we, we're just stranded countries away. Yeah. When I was an undergrad, I would make Thanksgiving dinner. I, I, st- I would say, I think I say Thanksgiving most times. And I actually made dinner, and then I brought some down for the security guard in our building, oh. and I ate Thanksgiving dinner with him. His name is Robert. I have a lot of Roberts in my life, um, and I but I nicknamed them R Dizzle. Okay. I don't know. Like it was the the era of Snoop Dogg, you know, for Shizzle, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, all that stuff, and so 
Artizzle. Yeah. That's really nice of you. Yeah, usually what happens is that there's some sort of, like, American friends giving that my friends tend to put on, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. That's a lot of fun. But it is very hard to be an academic and maintain your family. I When I was, um... I mean, there's a story that always sticks with me. There was an internship I was doing, and I was working with this postdoc who was from Europe. And I come into lab one day, and I notice everything's really different, and there um, are people that are huddled together. And the postdoc mentor that I'm working for, he's crying. And um, like he's also on the phone, and he's speaking a different language, so I don't really know what he's saying. So I go and I, I find my PI, and um, he says that uh, my postdoc, his father had just died. He um, was a hiker, and he was climbing a mountain, and he fell. Oh, dear. Yeah, and and he it was very unexpected, obviously. And um, you know, afterwards, the my mentor was my the postdoc was saying that um, he had just had a child in the U.S. And his father had never seen him, seen her yet, or he met her once. And he kind of always thought that he was going to have time to go hang out with his father. He was thinking about how in undergrad he was always doing research and he didn't come back for breaks. And he just always, again, thought, okay, but when I'm done with everything, I'll come back to Europe and I'll get all this together and then we'll have time. And so Mm -hmm. to have that time taken away from him so abruptly, it was just really hurtful for him and very shocking and... Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean that's obviously a very sad story, but but I think life happens to you in grad school, and it, it's not like school puts you on hold for grad yeah, school like or feels, for undergrad. Yeah, and I mean like I think there's a lot of things that make us expect it to, or like again that for some people it feels like this arrested development to be in graduate yeah. school, but obviously life continues. And I was even thinking about the family thing. Like I know a couple of faculty members who are full professors mm-hmm. and uh, they've mentioned to me about having aging parents very far away oh, God, and, you know, yeah. having to like really travel out to go see these aging parents and thinking then I was thinking like oh what about my parents when you know knock away like when I get to that stage it's just... yeah yeah that scares oh. me my parents are getting older and um, I feel selfish sometimes because I know my mom wants to be closer to me I know like physically closer I know that they're also, their health is kind of deteriorating. And in my head, all I could think of is like, I'm not ready yet. I need more time. I just got out of grad school. I feel like I just have my life to myself. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to move from grad school where I'm under my PI's thumb to moving in with my parents and helping them, you know, feed themselves or whatever the case may be. But I love them, and I, I, you know, I feel like that's my duty, that's my obligation mm-hmm. to do that, and mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to yet. I don't feel like I'm ready, but then life doesn't really care if you're ready, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one thing I envy is I realized that like my family deliberately planned to mostly be living around the Toronto area, so that's mm-hmm. why I was able to grow up with my aunts and uncles around me and mm-hmm. my grandparents, and now realizing now how privileged that is, like yeah. that everyone managed to have the careers to to that everyone was within a half an hour drive of each other and I got to grow up that way. But that's such a precious thing. And now that like my, my grandmother's passed away and my grandfather's in a retirement home and trying to come back and see them as much as possible and realizing that like, I won't be able to have that same sort of tight knit family community um, later on. 
happened, but yeah. at the same time, I benefited so much from it. Because this temporary move that you yeah. told yourself you were doing might actually yeah. be a permanent move, because the one job you may get may be nowhere near Toronto. And do you yeah. give up that job that you that job offer because you want to be closer to your family? And it's so hard. This, this is not something that we consider when we're young, I think. Yeah, I, I also, I think it's also that you think it's all going to work out. When it's something yeah. that's so far in the future, it's really hard to project. So I can tell myself in my head, oh, it'll work out. I'll be somewhere in your family. Oh, don't matter. But that doesn't mean when it gets closer, it becomes more real. Mm-hmm. And then I've changed so much as a person. I mean, that's the other thing that um, not being closer to my family, I've become a different person. I think. So it's kind of hard to to adjust sometimes. I've been recently trying to get closer to my family. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Two body problems are difficult of all sorts, and I guess what we're saying is they're not even just two bodies, but they're multiple bodies, multi-body. multiple body problems. Yeah. Bodies matter. <laughs> I'm, yeah, not even going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Liz. Okay. Zion, this has been great, as usual. I love our hangouts together. Yeah, despite only now finally finishing this episode for you guys, uh, Liz and I have been trying to, we've been texting each other, like, almost every day. We usually try to send each other photos. and Yeah, I try. Try also to do hangouts. So we've been trying to, like, make it work. Make the long distance podcast relationship work long distance friendship i think we've been doing good so far <laughs> yeah i think so too yeah now it's just about like getting this episode to you guys so if you're listening to this we admit we did it yay yay oh and one <laughs> more thing tong cow you've been trying to hide your birthday from me but i know it's coming up so if anyone who listens to this podcast knows tong cow tell him happy birthday for a whole week and tell him it's payment for not telling me when his birthday actually is. Do you know this person? Tong. Oh, Tong. I didn't know what Tong's last name was. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, like, on Facebook, he's like T-M-C-A-O, and I didn't I know. know what else it is. Oh, yeah, Tong yeah, yeah. So, is his birthday today? No, no, no. Well, I don't think it, I don't know when it is. Oh. I know the range. Okay, so someone, all shady happy though. birthday, Tong. If I see you around, I will aggressively say happy birthday to you. Yes. Anyway, thanks for tuning in for another episode of Future Divas. I'm Zanyo. This is Liz Green. Peace out, I think. No, yes. no, we're changing what? that. We can't say peace out. What are you gonna say I then? get super stay awkward woke? at the end of all of our podcasts. Oh. See you next time. Stay woke. I like that.